As we turn to this third part of John's visions from heaven here in these chapters 12 to 14 today, uh, we've stepped into the engine room to see what's going on behind all these things that Jesus has been revealing uh, through this book. Uh, As if a great curtain draws back and John now sees deep into the spiritual realm uh, because here now we see this, that working against God and against his kingdom and his angels and his church and his call upon us to worship, uh, working against all that is the devil and his kingdom and his fallen angels and his people and his call to us to false worship. This is all about worship, this vision. To put it crisply before we look it over here, only God may be worshipped. We've seen that in places like chapters 4 and 5. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain for us to receive that very same worship. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb belong the blessing and the honour and the glory and the might forever and ever. Only God may be worshipped. What Satan is seeking, introduced to us here, is to take our worship away from God. He would have us worship anything other than God because Satan is determined to oppose everything of God. And if we can understand that fundamental rebellion in the spiritual realm, that Satan wants to take our worship away from the one true God who deserves that worship, well, then the text in front of us today should pretty much just unfold. The whole vision can be seen in those terms as an oppositional defiance of of Satan and all that is his towards God and all that is his. Uh, Starting as we do in chapter 12 and verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of twelve stars. And we should see here in this woman of the vision, I believe, the people of God. Israel, perhaps, with 12 tribes as 12 stars, as it was pictured in Joseph's old dream, if you know of that dream in Genesis 37. But God's people are on view here, at any rate, set aside for God, for God's eternal plan, and through whom the Son of God would enter his creation. As we see in the next words, she was with child. Uh, And the child, verse 5, who would rule the nations with a rod of iron, as of course was foretold of Christ in Psalm 2. And yet so too in this vision, as I say, we now get introduced to Satan. And we have to factor Satan into this. Satan who is opposed to that glorious destiny of the Son of God. Uh, Verse 3, another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Just as was foretold way back in Genesis 3, where God had once said to this ancient serpent, I will put enmity between you And the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. 
There is enmity between Satan and Jesus because Satan is fundamentally opposed to God and his Christ. And so Satan would have loved to overcome the incarnate Jesus when he came, but he couldn't, says verse 5. She gave birth to a male child who is to rule all the nations with the rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. So the devil will therefore contend against Jesus' people, as verse 6 then starts tipping us off to see if he can oppose Jesus in that way. Uh, He couldn't devour Jesus as he wanted to uh, when he came, but maybe Satan can undermine Jesus' glory by taking away his church. Chapter 12 is taking us into that spiritual war. Indeed, as verse 7 says, War arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Uh, One thing there we need to learn about Satan, he has no place now in heaven. He has been defeated and cast out of there by this vision and all the angels who belong to him cast out too Uh, but in that catch this second truth that this scripture is about to set us up with he cannot touch our salvation brothers and sisters if we belong to jesus christ Uh, he accuses us in our hearts all the time does satan as is the very definition of his name the accuser But since he holds no place in heaven, those accusations he makes against us will find no sway there. He has been cast out. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers who accuses them day and night before our God. He he has been thrown down. Uh, And we, verse 11 says, we, the the brothers and and sisters, we could say, we we are somehow the they who have conquered him in this sweet gospel mystery. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Uh, Our eternal joy that we celebrate in the gospel still comes with earthly grief, as those words there make clear. The devil is going to carry on this war against us, even though he knows that in the eternal scheme he can only lose. Uh, So, verse 13, when the dragon saw that he'd been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman, uh, the people of God, I should think, that is, or the symbol of us, perhaps, in Eve. He pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The devil can't touch our salvation if we are of Jesus, which infuriates him even more, verse 17. 
dragon became furious with the woman, went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Do you see the spiritual war here between Satan and the people of God? Uh, But the point of this engine room vision, and the whole book really, is that while Satan may harm us in various earthly ways, we have nothing to fear in terms of our salvation, not if we belong to God and to the Lamb. And that, therefore, is really the question in all this here. Do we belong to God and to the Lamb? There's a simple and binary dichotomy running through the whole of Revelation. Everything cuts and falls into one of two opposing camps. And it's crystal clear here in the engine room of this vision. We either belong to God on the one hand or we belong to his enemy. Obviously, we need to know where in that dichotomy we stand. And the answer will be revealed to us in terms of how we respond to what God has revealed to us in these scriptures. And in pretty big picture terms in the book of Revelation, are we worshipping God is the question we might ask. Are we worshipping God? Are we seeking obedience to his commandments, as it says in verse 17, holding to the testimony of Jesus as it says, are we living with our faith in the blood of the Lamb? Verse 11, are we under Jesus' rule? Verse 5, uh, is that the picture of our worship? Is the question we might go away and ask? Because the alternative that we're warned of here is that if we don't worship God and on his terms like so, then then we're living our lives in some other kind of worship. Whether we realise it or not, we are worshipping something or someone else. And in God's sovereignty, Satan is allowed to war against people almost as if to clarify for them that answer, where their worship is truly placed. Because Satan, as I say, always wants us to fall down before anything else but God. And chapter 13 takes us further into what that spiritual warfare is like in the form of two beasts that pop up in this vision, appear to John at the behest of the dragon, they appear. Let some of the imagery just drop out of this for a minute as we do a first pass and just catch all the words running through it about false worship. Blasphemy, too. Pointing people away from the one true God who should be worshipped and undermining his good name. Chapter 13, verse 1. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with blasphemous names on its heads. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? And who can fight against it? 
But is that not a stupid question at this point in the vision? I mean, in chapter 12, Michael had even fought against the dragon and defeated it. Uh, And ironically, uh, Michael's name means who is like God. But who is like the beast? The world does say. And with the imagery then put back in, well, this beast seems to be some kind of deception a sham of the living creatures that were gathered around God's throne that we saw in chapter 4, with a fatal or fatal-ish but healed wound and ten horns instead of seven, as John had seen of the lamb in the vision of chapter 5. Whatever this beast is, one thing it certainly is not. This is not a picture of God who alone may be worshipped. But the world will be enthralled by the beast and the dragon and they will give their worship to them. And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone, that is, whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Uh, Here we see that dichotomy of Revelation pretty clearly. Those who belong to Jesus, verse 8, are written in his book of life. They can consider themselves there in verse 6 as citizens of heaven, those who dwell, those who tabernacle with God in heaven. So too it was there back in chapter 12 and verse 12. Those who belong to the Lamb are the dwelling, the, the temple that is, of God, and everyone else who does not belong to God will worship the beast, verse 8 does say. They are only dwellers of, of earth. For even the dragon, chapter 12 and verse 7, has no place in heaven. How can those be there who worship his beast? Uh, And yet for now, verse 6, the beast will slander God's people uh, on earth along with God uh, and the beast will even be allowed to conquer us, verse 7, in this awful war. Because for now, dwellers of heaven we may be, for now we are nevertheless still here. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. That's hard not to hear, don't you think? Real earthly harm to the people of God. Another beast rises up as the vision goes on. And again, let your eyes just pick out first the crisis of worship running through here. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. 
It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people and by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. It's not just three. There's four levels of false worship at play in this vision. The dragon and the first beast and the second beast and and the image of the first beast. The vision keeps spawning things that steal worship from God because that is the whole purpose of Satan. You're probably waiting for the next bit, I suppose. Uh, Also, uh, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, uh, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, uh, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Uh, Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is... 666. The mark of the beast is its name, or the number of its name. Uh, And that it's the number of a man certainly gives the sense that these are personal entities here, uh, at least the first three, the dragon and the two beasts, and so too the fact that it even has a nail. That's a very personal idea, isn't it? And so this, I think we should concede, Evil in this world that we see is it's not simply a concept. It's not just a lack of some good thing. The devil is real. The devil is a real and personal being at enmity with God. So too he has angels with him in that cause, chapter 12. So too he can bring forth or, or reveal these other beasts in chapter 13. Uh, there is also a real and personal end coming for those real and personal beings, as we'll see. Uh, But we ought not to miss what these beings are meanwhile, and and all the while, helping to reveal that what this mark means, what, what it marks, that is to say, is that false worship that we've been seeing running all through this vision here, that that just as some people are marked unto God and sealed by him and written into the Lamb's book of life to glorify him, so too there are others who do not belong to God and are therefore otherwise marked. They belong to his enemy. A simple dichotomy made clear. If we worship God... We are his, and if not, we will worship his enemy. There is no in-between. Whatever else the number might mean in in terms of the actual personal beings, uh, this most certainly, again, is, is not the number of God. No, sevens have been pointing us to God all through this book of Revelation and with three lots of seven in the things that John sees. Three sixes falls short, uh, but the world will be deceived if they are not of God. Such is the very work of God's enemy. 
uh, Satan and all that are his go about uh, this warfare, they're also going to bring great hardship to bear on the church. And as I say, that seems to be allowed for under the sovereignty of God, that the devil be allowed to test our faith, as if to see where our loyalty, our, our true worship really does lie, uh, so that despite all the hardship, to our great and eternal blessing, I believe, we, we can know our fate even today. We can know and be assured of our place and therein, as this warfare continues, we can see this and, and we can purify our lives to a more and more holy and, and pure worship of God and only God because we're going to see what the devil puts before us and if we are of God, we will be able to pray and have him help us put those things out of our way. But that <clears throat> refining clarity comes with great suffering for the church. The dragon is allowed to cause very real harm, uh, even death, as the vision goes on and does say. But only in the earthly sense. Only in the earthly sense, because, spoiler, in this spiritual war, Jesus wins in the end, my friends. Jesus wins, chapter 14. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him... 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. You see the dichotomy? Don't fret about the mark of the beast. If you know that you've been given unto Jesus, don't fret about that mark if you read it in these scriptures or if you hear about it in this world. Here are the people of God, pictured chapter 14, not like a woman this time being kept safe for a while in the desert, but triumphant with Jesus on this holy hill as he stands there, so too today. Just as we saw them back in chapter 7, if you recall, the great multitude who no one could number, the two groups, chapter 7, one and the same. Here they are again with Jesus, all who have been redeemed because they were marked for God. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. Whose voice would that be? And the voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps and they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. Uh, the people Jesus redeems, if you track through those verses again, the people who he redeems are of one voice with him because they follow him, because he is their God, he is their king, and by him and for him they have been redeemed and made pure made pure as the vision goes on. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as firstfruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. 
Friends, rather than think that this is some kind of special group of, of only ever truth-telling virgins who are blameless, we ought to see these people as us. Those who worship God and pursue his commandments, as it says, and hold to the testimony of Jesus, as it says in chapter 12 and verse 17. So too it had it in chapter 13 and verse 10. So too here, chapter 14, if you drop down to verse 12. The same multitude of all those who've been redeemed out of the earth, verse 3. But here we see, having been purified, these people purified for that worship by the blood of the Lamb. As if, we, as if we never had been defiled in any way or told any lie or held any blame. Nobody would fit those criteria if you were trying to see a special group of people pictured here. But all of us, therefore, will be made this pure by the blood of the Lamb. Not being able to buy or sell because of that other mark, whenever that will be. Fear not about such things, I say. You have been bought at a great price to be redeemed unto God and made pure in this way. That, of course, is the very gospel we believe. He redeems people and he is making his people pure. So fittingly, Verse 6, then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. We must receive this gospel We must come before God. We must have our lives, our worship purified. Otherwise, the rest of this vision speaks mostly to those who don't belong to God, who won't worship him, who worship the dragon and the judgment that must fall on them in the end because nothing impure can stand in presence of God. Out come God's angels, as we see. Another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Another angel, verse 9, a third, followed. If anyone worships the beast in its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest, day or night, these worshippers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. And that's about all I can bear to read on that right now. But clearly, verse 12, here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. The dichotomy could not be clearer. Salvation is certain and sure for all who belong to the Lamb. Judgment is certain and sure for all who follow the dragon. What would this vision mean if we were sat here today sitting in one of those seven churches back in chapters 2 and 3 that received the letters from Jesus? 
Well, it would be great comfort, I should think, to those who are suffering. Do you remember those who are under persecution and, and in great trial, trying to hold fast to their faith in Jesus? In places where Jesus described they were contending with the synagogue of Satan, with the throne of Satan at their door. Uh, those who in, in all the scheme of these things thought they were but little and, and broken and, and left there, and yet in Jesus they are lifted into the presence of God's glory and will always be that way. Great comfort, I should think, it would bring to those people in those churches. But it would bring great warning too to those in those churches who were drifting over to the world. Uh, who were mixing false teaching and worship uh, into those churches, putting stumbling blocks in front of their brothers and sisters. Those who think that in the scheme of all this they are rich and probably are in a worldly kind of way, but they're spiritually poor, at risk of being captivated and enthralled by the charades of the devil. Uh, Read those letters uh, letters later uh, again, if you like, for homework. Uh, It's almost like they were written in the same language running through this vision right here and to the same end. Those Christians in those churches needed to be clear about this dichotomy and where they did stand. What then does the vision mean for you and I today? Much the same, I would reckon. Much the same. We too need to be crystal clear about this great dichotomy running through here. We need to be clear on this today. As much as we might like to gaze into the future and pinpoint specifics of the physical manifestations of these cosmic kind of things and think about the final end of what we read through here, that's not nearly so urgent, I'm afraid. Uh, And nor is uh, whether that is or isn't coming into view today. The question of this vision is of you and I in our lives of faith and worship today, are you here and now worshipping God with your life? That is a question that should come out of this scripture today. Or are you given over to worshipping the things of his enemy? As to the actual dragon and the beasts and the image of the beast and the mark of the beast, we can leave those cosmic things in Jesus' hands for that final day. The urgent truth of this scripture is that we're already in this great war, this very day, and every day we are in this war. When are these things not happening, we should probably say? The devil is already against us. He's already and always checking in any kind of way that he can that we're not actually marked for him. Uh, And he's going to keep spawning idols in front of us uh, over and again and for this simple and same reason, to clarify whether our hearts are truly given to the worship of our God or, if not, to lead us astray. There's no middle objective. There's no middle place in this great dichotomy. If you haven't come under Jesus, then then hear in this dichotomy, in this vision today, how that will one day end if you do not change. Judgment is certain for all who do not come before God and worship him. You must come under Jesus' rule if you would be saved. But on the other side of that split, uh, fear not if you are of Jesus. Uh, 
and moreover, engage this war. God will see to it that you slowly overcome every other object of what would therefore be false in your worship. Uh, He will show you those things as the devil does spawn them in front of you. He will convict you on those things until you entirely, in all purity, come into the worship only of him. Because there will be nothing left of false worship in the end. There's nothing in between today. That's the dichotomy. Uh, So we ought to let God search us with this vision instead of pondering the future. Search us today. Have I been drawn into, am I slipping into some idol uh, worship instead of worshipping God? That's a question I should go away from this scripture today and ask in my heart. And I should pray, does my life look different? I should wonder, does my life look different in any way to to the rest of the world outside? Because if they are enthralled by the dragon then shouldn't my life, captivated by God if it is, should not my life not look the same? That's a question I could go away and ask of myself and pray through today, coming out of this vision. As with these seven churches in John's day, so too today, the urgency of this vision is not whether Nero or some other figurehead of evil is on his way. It's where you and I are standing today. Only God may be worshipped and he will be in all purity, a world without end. What we have been shown of the future has been shown us and given us to change our today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this vision you showed John. Thank you for this word that you've given it to us today. We pray that you use it. Uh, Use it, please, to search us for false worship in our lives. Uh, Turn our hearts entirely to you, we pray, uh, that we may praise you and glorify you in all purity forever by the purifying power of your eternal gospel. And in Jesus' glorious name, we ask these things. Amen.